Hi, Arkai. How are you? This is uh, the MVP Engineer podcast, and welcome. Today, we're talking a little about a little bit about some products, um, branding, and uh, marketing being fractional. So, give us a quick introduction of yourself and uh, what you're what you've been working on the last couple of years. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, William, and it's great to be here. So, yeah, really excited for the talk and just a quick introduction about myself. I'll try to keep it as short as I can. My name is Arka Soara. I'm the founder of Iculus, which is a global brand strategy consultancy, where we mainly work with forward-thinking entrepreneurs who are truly growth-oriented and impact-driven. And we allow them to be community-led and scale a brand internally first and then create something that can gravitate the right people towards them. I'm also a mentor at Techstars, a global facilitator, speaker, and a brand strategist on a fractional basis. That way, companies can hire me as a chief brand officer or retainer without having to go about hiring an agency and paying like $300,000 and above for branding and all. Uh, I'm someone who's always involved in innovating things and helping others by being the catalyst for change for them so that they can create something that they're driven towards and uplift other people at the same time through it. I am honestly involved in as many things as I can be and I'm trying to make more dives so that I can be more involved in another thing I love which is animal welfare and especially dog wrestling. So that's the plan for a few years down the road but yeah that's a bit about me yeah that's so awesome i love that um i've done a little bit of work with Techstars as well what uh is there a certain region or i know that they do a lot of uh geographically centric stuff but what which Techstars are you uh associated with i'm i'm more associated with the boston one but always remotely yeah that's awesome yeah the boston Techstars seems to be one of the biggest ones i don't know yeah. how that worked but that's cool maybe it started there um Cool. And the dog rescue, maybe we'll come back to that in a bit. Yeah. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was one of the projects that you've been working on recently, the the Revista app, uh, a review app. So um, as you know, I, I work pretty hard with my clients to try and find market product market fit, as well as um, just modifying and, and molding the product to, to be in the right spot. And uh, Revista almost seems like something that I might need to use for for my company. So Give me the pitch for for what the product actually is, and then tell us a little bit about the journey of how you got there and, and how you found uh, a niche for for that product. Absolutely. So Rivers was actually built by a very good friend of mine, Abhishek, and he reached out to me when it was just in the beta stage and everything, where we helped him a bit with the brand strategy and then the content strategy and stuff like that. And it's honestly a great platform because right now we live in a world where if you have discoverability backed by social proof and proof of work, you can practically get into any room you want and create anything you want. People believe it's easier for people to trust you when they see that others have trusted you. And Riverstar really does play a huge role in doing that because unlike other testimony and review collection platform, it focuses a lot on your personality traits, emotional spectrums, as well as how you made your clients feel because clients just don't want to work with anybody who is skilled because there are millions of people skilled in any particular skill nowadays but they want to know how you go about entering a market, how you can work with them, their personality and ideation. So the Revista focuses on that while also making sure that all the testimonies are authenticated and verified. So it's not just something you can go about uploading them. So it's a really strong front and they're still developing a lot of the features around it, but it is going to be a huge platform down the road as we create more scalability, discoverability features that people are seeing for not just their work, but for the people they are as well in this extremely human-centric work that is yeah. very much changing in the future of work. 
That's really cool. I didn't I didn't quite get that from the website when I was when I was um exploring it a little bit myself. Tell me a little bit more about the um capturing of emotions and personality in the in the uh in the reviewee. So I, I didn't I didn't catch that from the website. Yeah, tell me more. Yeah, so it's not uh, gotten that deep into those things, but the, currently what we do is uh, you can go about a client who is reviewing you cannot just talk about how great you were in terms of a skilled service provider or something, but they can also mention how you made them feel. They have traits, badges that are made for emotional spectrum as well, that mm. about your oral personality, how it was engaging with you, what kind of mindset you brought in and everything. So that, that allows you to rank for those aspects as well, which not many platforms do. So it creates a great yeah. avenue for the that's really cool. So you were saying like bat badges of uh can you give me like two two examples of like a, a badge? I, I don't know if you have. Uh yeah, I mean I think we have recently renamed. So I'm no longer involved because I did my bit and then I can really leave companies once I'm done there because I'm not the kind yeah, of yeah. PMO is like maybe came out maybe came out do that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh but yeah, uh the things I'm mostly uh, ranked for is someone who is uh either thought disruptive or very skillful. But also, honestly, I need to get in touch. But very, f- I'd like to be ranked for the badges of friendly and empathetic because that's how I like to make my clients feel that they friendly and empathetic. Cool. So, yeah, There's yeah, that's ones out there. But it's just you know nothing is coming on top of my mind. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, um, I'm finding this more and more that clients want to make sure that uh, as you handhold and and do uh, do you know do your work, they they want to make sure that. You're making them feel really good about it, right? Um, it's not enough to be the best and just like build it real cheap, real quality, real uh, real good. It doesn't it doesn't matter so much all the time. Yeah, it's it's really about meeting them where they are and um, making sure they're happy every step of the way, right? Because if you go and build them a successful company and then they fire you w- without you know without the equity. Then it's like you're 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 shit out of luck, right? Exactly. Um, and and a lot of it has to do with the emotions because humans are just emotional creatures, right? Absolutely. So it's something to be really careful about. Um, yes. And uh, be more than just skillful. So, I think I think what you said is your your core competency is is branding and and branding expertise. Um, and then I think that comes along with fractional. Uh, fractional chief marketing. Um, so tell me about this transition to the fractional world, because I bet five years ago you weren't doing that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that's what you were doing, but I, I think this is something that's new to the economy, and we're seeing this like gig economy, but for the skilled workers, right? So talk to me about that. How that transition happened for you, and um, and then yeah, just your role in branding. Yeah, so I mainly specialize in creating brand ecosystems. So not just with the brand identity, but mainly creating brand strategy because a lot of times people associate brand strategy to marketing and then they try to pin it within that circle that, you know, that's what brand strategy is. Brand strategy is there when you want to go to market and stuff like that. But brand strategy plays a huge role in creating the overall organism that a business is from defining the culture, the values, the policies, to the kind of people who will be working in a company, the products you'll be building, the features they will have. As where everything is very much driven by a core value of the founder who is bringing together other people. And when multiple people, when they're a huge C-suite and everything, 
when they come together and create a brand that they align with, that is a mixture of all of their personalities and purpose, that's where you can establish something that will be scalable more quickly. So that's where I specialize where we're not just creating fancy brand identities and everything, but we create brand ecosystems that work together so that even if everyone is moving in a different direction, it's all towards a common goal. And while they're working towards different things, the different directions are not getting them to more clusters or obstacles, but rather helping them scale in a multidimensional form. Now, honestly, I think, so I'm a chief brand officer. And so they're a bit different from CMOs and everything. We help create brand ecosystems. So we're practically next to the CEO because we understand the CEO and the entire C-suite's vision, but then we help communicate that as to what that can look for the CPOs, CMOs, and everybody else, the financial officers, as to what the financial structures should be, what all the things should be kept in place, the legal work, whatever it is. And I think it's just now coming in trend, like fractional CMOs and CVOs and all of these things. They're now coming in trend. But honestly, I was doing this for like the past three years. Like I've recently celebrated four years of running my agency and I've been doing this for like nine years in total. And we were doing this. It just wasn't called that. Like it's like how burnout and mental health has now gotten the attention, but it didn't mean that it didn't exist before. It's just the same case. But I, I have been a chief brand officer for a lot of companies on a retainer where they would be like, hey, Arkai, can you work with our team instead of like working all the way through your agency because we already have something established. I would love for you to train them or join us for this project. I sometimes work with other agencies as well who are working in a field that they're not that specialized in, so they need a strategist who can help them create that. So I've always been doing this, but this year I created a subscription model around it that made it easier for companies to subscribe to my services and allow me to work in different ecosystems at the same time while also running my agency. And this was very crucial because innovation is taking place at a very faster rate than ever. Uh, ever since the pandemic, people have started diving more into their passions and purpose. And that is allowing them to do things in the world that we live in right now where anything and everything is possible with the amount of resources out there that are also practically available for free. You can go ahead and start making shift happen. And so due to these reasons, people are creating things and I'm the kind of person who picks markets based upon impact, not based upon like untapped profits, but rather where change is happening, where a lot of people are going to go about creating something for other people. That's where I find myself roaming. So that's how I like to go about doing things. And so as I move towards animal welfare in a few years, I want to close my agency, but still be involved in doing things that I love as a brand strategist. So the reason for me also to move into fractional work as in a subscription model is so that I can do both the things at the same time by focusing on just your know, transitioning more towards the consulting world. Yeah, for sure. I think I think the thing that stood out to me was, you know, the language changes, right? So even though we're doing the same stuff, like now we're calling it fractional, fractional C C work, right? As opposed to just like, hey, we're just we're just consulting for a couple of different companies. Um, but it's interesting to me that you're going to be you know, close to the CEO and actually doing legal work like that, that seems so strange for a, for a, for a brand strategist, but, um, yeah. So what, yeah, sure. Talk to me. Yeah. So, um, this is something we didn't talk about in one of my previous lives and everything where, uh, like for me, brand strategy helps create that culture. So a brand is not defined by their identity because that's what you're putting out there, which is an which is supposed to be ideally an extension of who you are at your core. And so your policies are what defines you. So we see a lot of companies and one of my friends brought it up as well, 
So there are a lot of insurance companies that have great messaging. And this is what happens when brand strategy is only limited to marketing. You make your messaging sound great, but if your actual policies and the things you stand by don't actually reflect that, then you're just selling someone a half lie and you're just like, yeah, this is what we're doing and everything. But then when things go to shit, you're just like dropping them off. And so fan strategy helps create these policies. And that's why I work with legal and different aspects as well. Like it's not always that much with legal, but sometimes I do happen to sit with the legal team and be like, what can we do to create policies that truly reflect what this business stands for? So when I work with companies that are trying to lift, uplift other women, I ask them, what are you doing aside from like giving them jobs? What are you doing internally to create that? How are you as a business creating policies that will create that culture internally? Instead of just projecting it outside so that you get the funding or the acquisition or just the awareness that you see. So that's why brand strategy plays a huge role in everything. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I wanted to talk to you about finding ideal client profiles because not only not only do you have to do that for yourself and finding your clients, but in coming up with a brand strategy, you have to kind of figure out who are we speaking to and what do they want to what do they want to hear and how does that align with who we are and then how do we define who we are. So Talk to me about how to find ideal client profiles and then um, like defining it and and cert- going out and searching for those. Absolutely. Uh, so one of the things I specialize in is creating gravitation rather than attracting. And so like I have never sent out cold emails. Now we are considering that for some of the other products we're launching because that's the right approach for that. But we never send out cold emails for, you know, trying to land clients for our agencies. I have created a strong enough personal brand and a reputation for myself that on a daily basis, we have people reaching out, even if they're not like the right clients all the time, they're in the right market. And so to truly identify who you are, to truly be able to gravitate them, you need to first understand who you are and then identify who can you best serve. And so this goes very much into your brand's purpose, especially if you want to do it right. You can always just put together like, okay, this is the saturated market. These are the ideal people we'd like to serve. Because there's a very huge difference between the right audience and the ideal audience. And so when it comes to discovering and understanding who do you actually want to help, who is the right person you want to serve? Who would be this person that you can actually help and scale? Because we all, a lot of people when they start, they were like, we want the high tier clients and everything. But does that actually drive you? Does that actually help you do your best work? And can you actually help? So it starts a lot with introspection to realize who you are. So here in our agency, I work a lot with investors and then a lot of SaaS founders. And the reason I do that is because I'm constantly driven to change the art of people's lives. And so to be able to do that, I work with venture studios, venture capitalist firms, and I help them position themselves better so that they can help other companies by funding them and creating good brand culture that these businesses can later go ahead and fund other people and like, you know, help other businesses as well. So if you want to define who your ideal audience is, it initially starts with introspection and then understanding the user mindset. Before you go into demographics and everything, understand the user mindset as to what is the mindset you want to work with. And then you can narrow it down to demographics because at the end of the day, let's take the example of Apple. Even a fifth grader and a 30-year-old man can go out and seek an Apple product when it's launching. And even though a 30-year-old man might have an ideal use case for it, like, 
okay, I might require a Mac so I can design better and not have a shitty, you know, OS and everything. Or LFF grader might just be like, I just want it because everyone else is. But people work on motivation and needs. And so if they feel like there's a need for something, a fifth grader might find to experience or ask them. And a third-year-old man will just go ahead and buy it or get it on credit and get it done. But people work on motivations and needs. So you need to understand once you have introspected enough, what is the user mindset you want to work with? What do you want to enable for them? Once you can understand that, then you can pin it down to different aspects such as demographs, what are they doing, where they're spending their time and stuff like that. This helps you connect better with a particular group in your overall user mindset. But initially, it's very good to realize who your ideal user is. And the best way to go about doing these things is by first understanding who you are as a business and who can you best serve. Not everybody. My work can help everybody. But I can't best serve everybody because I'm not motivated to best serve everybody. If someone comes to me and they're like, hey, I'm building a SaaS that's going to uh, make it easier for do- uh, rescue to find dogs even in dark forests and everything. I'm like, yeah, I want to help you. I'll practically do that for free because that's yeah. driven to my cause. But if someone comes to me and they're just like, you know, hey, this is another AI that is just going to replace that GPT, I'm not going to be that motivated. We're replacing chat GPT again. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that makes uh that makes a lot of sense. Can you, you talked a little bit of the, about the mindset and uh, you were giving the example of Apple. Can you dig deeper into that and say like, how, uh, like what's, I don't know, as opposed to the um, practical implications or practical considerations when you're buying the uh, the iPhone or the Apple product, like what, what's the mindset going through the, those two user groups, the, 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 the fifth grader and the, the third year old. Tell me tell me a little bit more about that. Of course. And obviously I wouldn't be able to give it exactly what it is because again I didn't of course for them. Course. But that's the thing, like we are driven by desire. People are always driven by belongingness at different stages. We want self actualization. That's what we want at the end of the day. But we don't really consider that. We are not like, I want to act we want to belong. We want to be in communities. We want to be accepted. We want to be embraced. And more than anything, we want to discover who we are. And it initially starts by finding ourselves in spaces we don't belong so that we can first understand that we don't belong here and this is somewhere else that I would ideally belong. And so to go with Apple and everything, uh, the main reason people find themselves being attracted to it is because what it enables. And it enables different things for different people. But the common need that gets them to honestly belong to Apple is that it's enabling themselves to be scalable, to be accepted, to be just valued towards the work they do. Because people associate the technology that Apple creates to the impact they have seen. Great technology, great cameras, faster processing feed. And hence, you would want that so that you can be faster, your work is greater, your execution is amazing. Or for a kid, it would just be that I am greater. I am great because I am with a product that is doing the same thing. And so they would want to belong. Like, okay, my friends have that. I want to belong with them. And I want the latest one because they have that. And I want, like, whatever games they're playing, whatever they're doing, I can add to that, but I can also lead that. Apple has always been known for changing market perception from the launch of, you know, the iPhone and to everything else they've done. Their messaging has always been towards changing the world. And so that change carries forward with every user who aligns with that down the road. Even if they're not consciously thinking about it, subconsciously, 
they look at Apple as a change maker for them. It's going to change the way I will do my work. And so everything they do from their even, the, I love their latest series that they've done from work for home on how they position the overall just, you know, starting a short series, then converting that to their way to market all their products. Because whenever they want to launch a product now, they go about with WWDC, but also, I think I butchered that, but also with, you know, the overall short, uh, short series they have for work from home, where they created an overall sitcom around what it's like to start a company and how Apple plays a role in that overall ecosystem and how they are able to scale, launch a company, take it further, and how Apple played a huge role in everything from losing a few device to launching a company and working remotely. Anything is accessible because Apple is making that happen for your innovative design. Yeah, I love that. I think uh, I think what you said about being part of something bigger and saying like, these are the change makers. So like, once I get this device, I'm going to be a change maker. Um, I don't know. I, I never really felt that because I've been part of the Apple ecosystem for so long. Um, but um, I don't know. I think it's just the sexy blue bubbles for me. <laughs> That's true too. Uh, I think like, you know, again, like it's just, you know, like for you, like there must be a reason that you purchase Apple products over going with Microsoft. Or maybe you do have Microsoft and then Apple is not made for you and everything. But like, as I said, you're part of the ecosystem, but it must do something for you, right? Like there's a particular reason. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's sleek, it's sleek design and it's just easy, like easy to develop on and just, it, it's just, it's a lot of things, right? Yeah. Um, And then it's also comfortability of, of being with that, with that ecosystem for so long and having you know, the, the cloud lock-in, you know, just the lock-in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it was pretty obvious that a, a discussion with a brand officer is going to get to, get to Apple eventually, but, um, just the quint the quintessential, uh, the quintessential brand. I don't know if you saw that there was a meme of like them of, of the, of obviously Steve Jobs presenting the first iPhone and then presenting each iPhone after that. And it it's just like the same, they hit the same note every time. Did you see that meme? Yes, I have. Where uh, they're just like, the rev, descri describe it for us. I just, I just think it's so like interesting, but like, it seems to just keep working and you know that it's going to stop working eventually and that something's going to come and disrupt, but describe the meme just so, just so we're on the same page with the audience. Of course. So, um, like, I won't go too detailed into it, but it's the way he went about introducing a product where he first addressed something and then is like, and now I present to you the iPhone. So, he talks about different challenges, which points out everything for the people. And you notice that, you know, it's both repetitive that even now every product is kind of going in that format, but there are also two things that are happening. One, features are not that amazing. Like, that time when touchscreen came out and everything, that was great. Like that blew people's mind. But now it's just like a new camera, a new processor. But the way to go about presenting that with their technology, where nowadays most of the time they're like short on iPhone or the way they get to the point and everything, they're trying to showcase the overall strength and the energy that they're bringing in, the power they're bringing in towards the execution. So while the meme is all about that, you know, they're always going about doing it in the same format, the stage. Well, it was the revolutionary. It, that was like the big, that was the big thing that, that came back a couple times. It was just like, yeah. this is a revolutionary new phone and it, it transforms everything, right? And it was true about the first one and maybe about the third one when they got the like internet going. 
because yeah. the first couple like that didn't even do anything but um it's just like iphone 14 revolutionizes phones in the world and it's like no it doesn't it doesn't do that anymore and uh something i find interesting about what they're doing is or what i've seen them do is they um they hold back the updates on um on a certain yeah. technology no it's not even that um like it seems that what they do is they improve each technology very small incrementally and then they take one technology and give it a big boost on each new iteration so um for example like for five years in a row the processor will increase by 10 percent and then on the fifth year it increases by 80 percent because they have a new chip or they have the camera and it has 10 percent more megapixels and then the next then then one year it's like a hundred percent better because they have to get you to buy something right like i i'm not going to buy the phone if everything's 10 percent better but if one thing is a hundred percent better and everything else is 10% better, then maybe I'll have a reason to do it. Right? Um, the fun thing is that, you know, since you, the way you brought it up, is that Samsung, or not Samsung, but there's so many companies out there that have gone past majority of the speeches. And so, when they focus on one thing, like the M2 chip, uh, when M, like right now, I see so many people still talk about that, that the way it's making it easier for innovation to take place in terms of just creation and everything with a small chip rather than having like a hyper-powered CPU. And of course, like the dig, uh, the deeper you dig into this, you realize that, you know what, there are better alternatives. Obviously, it's not as effective as Apple. But that's the thing, like you can focus on one thing and then everybody around that, even if not the other things are not that great and everything, people will just be focusing on that one put glass. Yeah, for sure. I've always seen that the Samsung and Google side of things have always improved quicker on the software front I've, I've always seen google as being just the software company and um they do a better job at that but um yeah so uh so thank you archive let's give you a, a quick shout out and uh plug of where we can find you and what you're thinking about either on linkedin or or wherever else um so talk to us about about where we can find you absolutely uh so the best way to get in touch with me is honestly looking up my name, Arka Aswara. I'm the only one in the world, so it's really great for SEO and everything. I love that. Spell it. Spell it for us. Spell it for A-R-C-U-I. A-R-C-U-I. U-S-O-A-R-A. So even if you just type A-R-C-U-I, you'll find everything about me. Wow. Yeah, LinkedIn is the best place to get in touch with me. And if you're a client that is looking to work, if you just come on my LinkedIn and the best way I can work with you and help you scale your ecosystem would be via my fractional consultation work on a subscription model. So you can go ahead and work with me on that basis. Cool. So uh, as I say, don't subscribe, stop listening to me, and go build your fucking company. Thanks, Archive.